This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Ever podcast, where listeners, as from next season, we're going to be reporting not just on Premier League football, but the Europa League. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week, as ever, is regular panellist and co-editor James Bird. Good evening, James. Good evening. Well, we have... um, we have a bit of a mixture this week to report on. We've got the um, the game away at Arsenal to talk about, which took place on Sunday. We've got some analysis of the Player of the Year Awards, which took place last night, and a, a couple of bits of news going on outside of Turf Moor. But more importantly, we have a small matter of European football to discuss. Um, we all knew on Saturday we, we were waiting for Clarets to play on Sunday, that uh, rearranged fixture. Um, but Everton's failure to beat Southampton meant that it was official. Burnley Football Club were going to finish seventh in the Premier League, no matter what happened with the final three games, and sorry, final two games. And that would bring European football back to Turf Moor for the first time in 51 years. Now, the Clouds are going to enter the Europa League at the second qualifying round, which we believe is drawn on the 19th of June. And those ties take place on the, I think the first one's on the 26th of July. So it's going to be an early start for the Clarets, but what an absolutely fantastic achievement. James, do you want to kick off this week's podcast just by giving us your reaction to Burnley qualifying for Europe? What does it feel for you? Difficult question to answer, really. Obviously, it's um, certainly not something I ever expected. First game I remember going on uh, at Turf Moor was 97, I think. Last game of the season, he'd beat Pudding Fog out at home to stay up. Um, We did. Uh, So it was quite a long way to come from needing to beat Plymouth on the last day of the season in Division 2 to to stay up, to now being in the Premier League, qualifying for Europe. Uh, You know, potentially a lot of big clubs in in the hat for the Europa League as well. You know, I think... As it stood the other week, at least, uh, AC Milan uh, looked like they could be occupying one of uh, Italy's spots. And could you imagine playing this AC Milan in Europe? That would be uh, quite something. Oh, God, yeah. It's hard to think about, isn't it? It's it's just, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, it, you know, it's absolutely crazy. And, uh, and to be in that position, it's, it's something that we never imagined. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how Dice treats it. 
it's, it's obviously, like you said, early start to the season. So I don't know, does he see it as a bit of a pre-season affair and he, he's, he's looking to try out the, the side he's going to be starting the Premier League season with? Is he actually made that many of his transfers by that point? It's obviously quite early in the day, I think. You tend to see quite a lot of transfers getting done as the season begins, but obviously it will be a bit different next year with the transfer deadline moving forward. So hopefully that means the business will all move forward and we'll have a better understanding yeah. what our side is when it comes to uh, playing in Europe. Yeah, well, well, let's stick on that then, James, because I think one of the things that's been, I guess, or not overshadowing, but it's kind of been hanging around um, the club and reaction to Burn qualifying for Europe is this perceived negativity. We've had it from a lot of opposition fans are sort of saying to us, oh, be careful what you wish for. And and Darch himself expressed some concern a few weeks ago where he was, you know, he was a little bit worried about um, what this means for the club. And, and I don't really know where he was coming from exactly with that. What... I mean, listeners, you know my view on this. I've been pushing for Europe all the way and being incredibly excited about European football for most of this season. Um, I can only see positives to this, um, but I do appreciate that some people have some concerns. So, James, I mean, do we really need to fear relegation next year? Do we really need to be worried about anything that might put us in a relegation scrap in the Premier League? Or, you know, is this a real positive being in Europe? Do you know, what what side of the fence are you sitting on here? Well, obviously it's a positive, but also, yeah, you have to be aware you're getting relegated from the Premier League, I think, any season. And, you know, unless you're one of the very big teams, just look at who's going, probably going down this season. Um, potentially, obviously Stoke already down, West Brom, Southampton or Swansea teams, that I think have, you know, become pretty established in the Premier League and, and, you know, now they're there sort of battling it out at the end of the season to try and uh, maintain the Premier League status. And, you know, if you'd said to Southampton fans at the beginning of the season, are you expecting to be in a relegation fight? I think they would have been telling you they're not, weren't expecting it. Swansea may be uh, a little bit different. They seem to have been tailing off a little bit, but Southampton have had some strong seasons and now all of a sudden they, they found themselves right down there in a fight and it can happen to anyone. And um, obviously we saw beginning of the season the way Everton started. Obviously, they've turned it round since uh, changing manager, but it could have easily continued and they could have found themselves in, in big bother. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one of the, the things that we've discussed on, on this podcast before is this evolution of the Premier League now where you've potentially found yourselves in a situation where the top six plus Everton are probably going to be safe. Well, they are going to be safe every single season um, and they're just going to flip around that mini league that they have at the top with with a side like Everton just trying to break into the top six every now and again. And then the, everybody else is vulnerable to, to relegation. James, you hit the nail on the head there. We never expected that the three favourites that who are going to go down this season would be, we thought that at least two of them would be in the mix, but obviously Southampton's the biggest surprise out of all of them. And and I guess Stoke as well. I mean, I know they haven't invested that well in the last few seasons, they've been coasting a little bit, but obviously for them to go down, so huge, huge risk. So yes, I do take your point on board, James, that, and I think this is probably what Deitch is alluding to as well, in that every single season you have to, presume that you are a relegation favourite and battle from minute one of game one to try and retain your Premier League status. So in that sense, I can understand some players 
worry about the Europa League being a distraction. But for me, it's no different to having to play in the FA Cup or in the League Cup. You know, you, you have to do it. It's, it's just part and parcel of of, of the season, I guess. And and, and I I've, I've don't have a problem with Dyche treating it as a pre-season friendly. I really don't. And I don't mean that he's not going to try. I certainly think for the first, well, let's say, maybe the first first fixtures, he will treat it with some importance and he'll reward his players and he will give it a sense of occasion because it's an incredible moment for this club and for its town and for, for a lot of fans who've never seen anything like it. But then, like you say, it needs to be business as usual. So with that, James, do you what do you think he needs to do in terms of preparation for the Europa League? Does he stick with what he's got? Does he bring in, I guess, volume of players and not necessarily... I don't know. I guess where I'm getting at is that we know that Deitch likes to work with a small squad and he likes quality players, but I'm not entirely sure he's going to get away with that if he's got Europa League commitments. So does he stick with the ethos that he has of getting in a small first team squad of real quality Burnley, Sean Deitch players who will, you know, push that Premier League campaign, but then also have almost a B squad of volume players who will play that Europa League, who will play the FA Cup, who will play the League Cup and try and see what they can do. You know, what do you what do you think he needs, James? I think he'll stick with the the tried and true method. You know, the the way you've got to look at it is um anything that happens, I think in Europe's a, a bonus. Um if we can you know make it last a, a long time, that's great. But equally you know, we could easily come up against a, a better, more established European level team than us early on and, and it could be all over. So I think um, you've really got to see it as a bonus if we do well in it. Uh, and I expect he'll probably treat it the same way he treats the domestic cup competitions, to be honest. And, and that'll be maybe, uh, you know, one or two changes. It's hard to say because obviously it's, it's actually before the season starts. So at that point, maybe he still doesn't even know what his, his team is for the season. But I don't think he'll go buying you know, players thinking, oh, they're for the Euro- Europe squad. I think um, he'll be buying players for, for what he needs for the Premier League. And obviously there's going to be quite a few needs there because Arfield, uh, Marnie, etc. that they're going to be leaving. Potentially going to be bigger clubs interested in some of our players. So I've no doubt he's going to be busy anyway in the transfer market trying to find, you know, sort of more more players in the mould of, of what we've got, more people who can fit in with the dressing room. And, uh, you know, if he can pull out some more great signings at, at the ilk of Stephen Defoe, you know, people you never thought would have come to us before, then obviously I think that'd be what defines his summer as a success transfer-wise. Yeah, you're probably right there. Um, I think one of the things that, I guess I was looking at is whether or not financially it's too big to know. But actually, when you, when you when you break it down, the Europa League winnings aren't actually that significant. I think the, you know the, the money comes in mainly at the group stage rather than the, the you know the earlier qualifiers. And you only get I think you only get in the group stages you get three hundred and about three hundred and twenty thousand for a win in the group stages and about a hundred and twenty thousand for a draw. You get two point three million as a, as a participation fee. So it's not you know and I think the overall winners only get six million. So and I know that I, I realise that that's still a lot oh, of money. Such a tiny I know. <laughs> it's just loose change that none and never tells what can say no but but obviously in the context of Premier League 
winnings and also Champions League winnings, Europa League, you know, if it's not financially that rewarding. So you're not going to then invest heavily in the players that you have, sorry, that you want to bring in just to try and secure European victory because I just think as a as a financial balancing exercise, it's not particularly very sensible. Obviously, James, you've picked up there on, on quite a few key points about, I guess, players in the squad we're hoping next season in our end of season review to maybe have a look and talk in more depth about the squad that's you know the players that are departing and what we want to bring in in the summer and as James alluded to then who we think other sides might be interested in in terms of stealing from our squad so um, if any if any of you do have any thoughts on that midweek in preparation for next week's end of season pod then do tweet us in the usual twitter handle and we will we'll get it you know we'll get some of those thoughts into the podcast next week my only other i guess thought about european um qualification james is it occurred to me today how much it's probably helped us with Ireland not getting through that World Cup playoff. Because can you imagine if we'd have had Ireland in the World Cup with all of the Irish players that we have who would literally just be coming home from a World Cup and going straight into European qualification? So I guess in some respects, we've got a little bit lucky there that we're not going to have that many players involved in the World Cup. Dufour's obviously... Um, sadly, uh, he did confirm last night at the awards that his World Cup dream is always not going to be back in time for the World Cup, so he won't play. Good months, and we know we'll be with with Iceland. We don't know whether Pope and Tarkovsky will be away, or either one or both of them will be away with England. But actually, you know, Wales didn't make it, so Sam's not going to be there. Forgive me, listeners. I don't know if New Zealand or anywhere near that. I don't know whether Chris Wood's going to be away, but but certainly, you know, we're not going to have a raft of players who are going to be away and then coming straight into it to a European campaign. So I think that's probably going to be a bit better, isn't it, James? Can you imagine if we'd have uh, ended up with all of our players not having a summer break? It'd have been pretty crippling in our small squad, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it certainly would have been difficult. I think, you know, obviously the players would be disappointed if they're not able to go to the World Cup. But uh, from a selfish Burnley fan point of view obviously it's good to, to know they're going to be get rest, uh, get rested particularly as you know next season hopefully they'll be playing a lot more games if we can continue in Europe if we can obviously continue in the domestic cups we've not really had a running one of those for a, a couple of years either so you know there's a lot of football to be played and ideally you'd, you'd like the players to be able to go away and you know have a little break and then get into their pre-season training because I'm sure they'll they want to start working out before they even come back with the club and uh, no doubt a few of them will be uh, on flights pretty quick after Sunday's game to, to make sure they get a nice holiday in with the family. Yeah, indeed. And gosh, have they earned it. Well, let's move away from the excitement of European football and let's, I guess, have a look at where we were at the weekend. Now, Clarets went away to Arsenal on Sunday at what has ended up being Arsene Wenger's last ever home game. So going into this game, we always knew that we would be very much a subplot in the main event at the Emirates Stadium with the Arsenal fans coming out to a packed audience and coming out in their dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and thousands and thousands and thousands to say goodbye to an absolute legend of the Premier League and a legend in football and, and quite rightly give Arsene Wenger a very good send-off. Now, we say that we had nothing to play for going into this game with that seventh spot being confirmed before we'd even kicked a ball. But James and I have both discussed this off-air and we're both very much of the view that 
sixth place was potentially up for grabs. There wasn't nothing to play for, albeit it, it seemed to be quite unlikely that Burnley would sneak into that sixth spot. As it turned out, the occasion and the, I guess, security of, of, of a confirmed Europa League spot didn't do the Claras any favours. And unusually for this Burnley side, James, they succumbed to a very heavy loss. 5-0 it ended up, and quite frankly, I think it could have been more at some point. Interestingly, only the third time that Burnley have lost by a five-goal margin in the Premier League. What what went wrong, James? Where do we even start with it? I mean, listeners, I, I, I don't want to dwell too heavily on this Arsenal game on the basis that, number one, I, you know, it was just one of those games. And number two, you know, what more can you possibly ask from these players from this season? But we do need to talk about it. We need need to try and analyse it. So, James, I guess from an overview, what on earth went wrong at the Emirates? I think it's, you know, uh, one of those games where, you know, maybe the mentor, the the players were thinking uh, about their own separate trips into Europe you know, on holiday as soon as the season ends and, you know, the occasion as well, Arsenal's last home game. I think it, it was clear from the get-go that Arsenal were more up for the game than we were and, you know, for whatever reason, um, I'm not sure, but the, it only ever looked like the result was going one way. We just it didn't seem to be as competitive as been, I've been for the rest of the season. I think we've seen, a you know, a general little pattern over the last couple of games where I think as the job looked to be done uh, for securing Europe, I think we have taken our foot off the gas a bit. Obviously, we've been missing a couple of key players. The injuries have sort of started mounting up. Uh, and in general, I think some of the teams we've played have been, you know, winding down the standard. I didn't think Chelsea played at their absolute best. They played probably one of the best games of the season, but obviously they've had a bit of an off-season. Uh, and they seem to be playing more with a, a freedom like they, that the result wasn't um, that the be-all, end-all anymore. It's that part of the season. I think we've seen it before when the the job's done. It, it can tail off. And um, I think, in a way, it tails off a little bit for the fans as well. You're just enjoying it at this stage, looking forward to, to what's going to come, obviously, with Europe. And for me, I think a big part of it might have been the occasion, to be honest. You know, Arsenal's last game, um, the Arsenal players seemed to eventually decide that they, they wanted to play a little bit of football for him and, and give him a good send-off. And, you know, that it seemed the same way with the atmosphere, with the crowd both sets of fans at times singing about Arson. So I think it was one of those games really where it was kind of a celebration of Arson's career at Arsenal and um, it was only ever going to be a win for the home side. But I think I said on Twitter uh, during the game, normally in the Premier League in recent seasons, we've got our battering of the season off West Brom at, at West Brom. So uh, to get beat 5 nil by Arsenal rather than 4 nil away to West Brom, I think if someone had offered you that at the beginning of the season, uh, you would have taken it but yeah, for me the biggest shame is not getting the opportunity to, to get one back on Arsenal after all those times he's robbed us I think he's almost every time we played him in the Premier League there's been something that's uh, maybe left us feeling a little bit of grief so yeah that's true uh, to miss that last opportunity to sort of set it straight uh, was a little bit disappointing but uh, you know, it's it's a game away at Arsenal. I don't think you you go to those ones expecting to win. No, you don't. You, you're quite right there. I did I did have to laugh quite a bit actually. I, I was very amused by Sean Dyche's post match interview. He just threw so much shade at the Arsenal fans, and you know he 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 one of his actually we'll come on to this in a minute. I thought he was incredibly understanding of the loss, and I think he handled it impeccably well in in the media. But he did he did throw some shade at the Arsenal fans who basically were saying you know they lost him. His job, <laughs> which was a bold claim, given that it's supposed to be that he's 
resigned rather than sacked. And obviously he's had a few digs at the Arsenal fans who are uh, celebrating him when they've been calling for him to get sacked for the last two seasons and it's what they actually wanted. I think one of the key... I mean, I think defensively it was a little bit disappointing in that um, we seemed to be a little bit all over the place. But I think, like you say, James, we were against a very, very good side who, albeit inconsistent, and like I say, they're a side that don't seem to want to play under pressure, but when they want to turn it on for an occasion like yesterday, they can do. Um, So I was a bit disappointed with with it defensively, but I think, like you say, that the legs had just completely gone. They they just couldn't find that performance that they needed. But one of the key things in the game that was that really did impact it was the loss of, of Ashley Barnes so early on now we don't yet know what the injury is whether it's just a dislocated shoulder there has been some talk of it being a fractured collarbone I think there's a lot of speculation at the moment um, but it certainly was a very painful looking um, injury and, and poor Ashley did leave the field in some distress once Ashley left, and obviously Wood was already out injured, James, we looked really toothless up front. I think, and uh, you know, I've, I, when you when you try and look at the game again, or you look at the, even try and look at the highlights, there's just there's no chances for Burnley. There's nothing that we created, and there was nothing that we challenged that Arsenal defence with. Do you fear that that might come and bite us next season? Our reliance on a very small number of, of key strikers with, with Vokes having to play up front on his own for the rest of the game and not quite having the impact that maybe he wanted to? Or do you, I guess, fit that into just this general it was an off day analysis? Um, well, obviously, it, it was a, an off day and it was very unlucky, I think, to to have the, the number of players you know, injured and out, we did, and I, I fully expect actually that in the in the off season we are going to see a move for a, another striker. So it could actually be that you know it's something we're better positioned to cope with next year. Uh, to, to be honest, I, I don't really see it. Something that's going to come back to to next year because there's you know so much stuff to to be done before then. So you know, I think could change. Yeah, I think just just picking up on one of the points you made there, there, James. I think when we were talking about Europe in the early stages of this podcast. We were talking about Dutch staying the same as he is and working with a very small squad of players he likes to play with. I do worry about the longevity of that strategy in this league and whether or not, you know, we're talking now about it being quite unlucky to have the number of injuries that we've got. But then at the same time, we've had that over a few seasons now where we've been quite unlucky. And that is definitely a risk that you take when you manage such a small squad in that you are susceptible to having significant players completely ripped from the heart of your starting lineup if you do get injuries. So I think Dyche does need to be very mindful of that. And, and just if he takes anything away from the Arsenal game on, on Saturday, just to realise that one or two key players, especially with the number of games we're hopefully going to be playing with Europe next season, can really, really cripple your squad and, and can ask an awful lot on uh, you know from players who have to give their all. So, I guess it's just one to keep an eye out. I guess and the fact the final thing to talk about the Arsenal game, James. Like I say, there wasn't an awful lot to really talk about the game, but I, I thought that Dyche's post-match interview was very, very, very good. He he was calm. He wasn't dramatic. He was it was very honest. He sort of said, Yep, it just wasn't there. The occasion was never going to be about us. He said that he didn't feel like the players were 
overwhelmed, but he felt that they'd obviously had nothing to play for, so they'd maybe lost that impetus for the game. Um, and obviously that those digs that he had about the players who wanted to raise a game for Arsenal's occasion. I thought, to me, that just showed the kind of man that he is. Do, do you do you feel that, James? You know, I, I just think the way he handled that press interview after that performance just showed to me how much he has grown as a manager and as a Premier League manager. Um, I'm not sure really. To be honest, I, I haven't paid much attention to press conference, I think, by any manager for, for quite a while because uh, I just feel like they don't necessarily um, offer you a lot of information, really. Obviously, they're obliged to do them and I think, you know, people read into stuff quite a lot. I think it's just very difficult to, to try and read in too much to, to what a manager is saying. You know, I think considering the season we had, obviously he was never going to come out and, and select the players. It was clearly a poor performance, but, you know, he, he probably feels like most of us do that, you know, after the season they've had, you can let them off uh, a bad game because, you know, the job's done. They, they've done such a fantastic job this season that I think to, to have one one bad day, that, that's okay. Obviously you'll get some fans who say, no, it's not because they've travelled to the game they've spent a lot of money on trains they've spent a lot of money on tickets spent a lot of money on beer accommodation whatever they've done and you know they've got a point as well that football's an entertainment business at the end of the day these days and if people are partying with a hard earn then they, yeah they, they expect to see a, a, a decent showing but yeah for me I, I just think there's never really too much to read into to what managers say particularly post game I think you know they're, very, they're all very guarded these days and a lot of the candid sort of manager styles you used to get just don't exist anymore because it's it's such a big business now that you, you can't be like that and I think people say you know, complain during the season about Dash and um, when he's been asked about injuries. But it's the same thing. Why would you, you know, when someone asks, or oh, how long is so-and-so out for? Why would you tell all your rivals that he's out for X number of games? You say, oh, well, you know, we're going to have to have a, another look at it. We don't know how it's going to react. And I, I think it's, you know, very difficult to read into anything managers say these days. Very diplomatically put, James. You should you should do these interviews yourself, you know. You should, you should get, instead of Dash doing a post-match interview, you should put you on. I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest that for next season. Um, so let's leave um, the Arsenal game there. Just like I say, listeners, we didn't want to dwell too much on it. Um, there's no point picking up on the negatives. There's no point in analysing what went wrong on the, the basis that it was just one of those off games. And for it to come at the end of a very long season where the players have given their absolute all, I think we can all very much um, afford them the free pass. I do agree with James in that there are some fans out there who paid a lot of money to get all the way down there and they will be disappointed and quite rightly so that they didn't see perhaps a bit more fight in the side so yes I can see both sides of the argument and obviously hopefully those fans who did have to suffer the disappointment of that game and had to spend all that money that they will have something to cheer about at home next week against Bournemouth so let's move on then to the other talking point this week and your none and ever team were in attendance last night at the annual Player of the Year Awards. I was um, lucky enough to be there representing none and ever HQ. A lot of the listeners who were there last night, I did manage to get around some tables and say hello to people. So for those of you who I spoke to last night, it was lovely to meet you. And thank you once again for tuning in. And for all of the comments and all of the suggestions and the ideas and everything that you all shared with us last night, it was really great to get to speak to you all and have a bit of a gas really about all things known and ever and what you want to see from your podcast next season. The awards itself, James, were absolutely fantastic as they are, I think the commercial team at Burnley are doing a fantastic job in building that 
um, award ceremony. Over 900 fans were in attendance last night. It was jam-packed in a very, very hot marquee, I would add. But the players put on a great show. The manager was on form. And I think one of the things that I really like about this award ceremony is just how, I guess, real and how welcoming the players and the staff make it for the fans. I don't think, James, that you have any other Premier League club where... Okay, so you, so you have you have the, the ticketing allocation where people buy their tickets and it's stepped. So if you've got gold tickets, you're near the front and obviously there's different packages. And there's a roped area at the front where the players, the staff and the sponsors are. I was really lucky last night to be sat on one of the sponsors' tables courtesy of Forbes Solicitors, which I do need to thank them for, 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 the, for the guest on the seat that we had last night. But that's only while the dinner's been served and that's the only time where there is any segregation it's to allow the players to watch the awards and for everything to be given out and for, to have the dinner but as soon as the awards are done the red sort of like the, the red taping goes and the fans just mix and then after the award ceremony i think the, the players all pay for a after show party in town where the fans just who've got tickets just go in there and they just have beers with the players and just sing and dance and they're like they're your best friends from school and you're just on a night out and they're all you know jumping up and down in the middle of I think at one point in the in the after show party Tarkovsky got hold of the microphone off the DJ and started singing leading a chorus of we're all going on a European tour and the fans loved it James that's that to me is very unique about Burnley Football Club, don't you think? The fact that you have those players who have that relationship at such a personal level with their fans. Um, yeah, and you make, you make a good point there about the, the work the commercial team have done. I, I know quite a few of the guys in the commercial team from when I, I used to work at the club and they've built that over a number of years and I think it's gone from when we were, you know, obviously a, a smaller club in league stature and maybe didn't attract the, the attendances and the, the number of fans we currently do, but uh, we always sort of focused on being a fan orientated club and, and we see that more now that you know they've expanded over the last couple of years they've moved it from being in the, the James Hargrey suite to you know in a big marquee that they, they build up and you know the attendance numbers obviously are massive now but it's still really accessible and more intimate than maybe a lot of clubs put on um, obviously I don't pay a lot of attention to what other clubs Player of the Year awards are like, but I can't imagine there's many in the Premier League that have one that's quite as inclusive as Burnley. And it's great to see. It's great for the fans. Um, if we're, we're in a slightly different league position, people might question the, the timing, uh, you know, the week before the last game of the season. If we're in a relegation battle, it'd be concerning. But I think, you know, with the way it is, it's perfect. It gives everyone the chance to, you know, celebrate the, the weekend before the last day of the season. It's sort of when the, the last game's played, that's kind of it sort of turn the page and uh, we're looking at next season already there'll be none of that reflection we've sort of done it all already and I say obviously a lot to celebrate this year which I think probably makes the event even even more special yeah it really does and and I think I'd really encourage any of the fans who've not been to one of these awards shows yet to to try and get yourself a ticket uh, maybe put it on your radar that I think the tickets go on sale quite early in the season around Christmas time even so do keep an eye on the website for that because if you can if you can secure yourself a ticket and you can afford to go I promise you you won't be disappointed it's a fantastic night it really is so moving on to the actual award ceremony themselves James as expected Nick Pope came away as the big winner on the night winning both the fans player of the year and also the players player of the year I think going into the night I think most of us 
probably expected it would be between Ashley Barnes and Nick Pope. Um, what are your feelings on Pope winning the Player of the Year, James? Number one, do you agree? And number two, if not, who would you have voted for? Or who did you vote for? Well, I did notice you, you asked who who did people vote for in the show notes. I didn't vote at all, so... Uh... <laughs> Shame. I, I can't, 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 can't answer that. Um, I, I don't think I've ever voted in the year, to be honest. I'm actually. absolutely shocked at you, James Bird. <laughs> uh, personally, I, I don't think I would have picked Nick Port myself. I think I, I would have been looking at maybe Jack Coke. I think he's made a massive difference to our side. I think you know what he offers has, has been one of the real difference makers. I think if he'd managed to stay fit for the full season, uh, Stephen Defoe possibly. Ashley Barnes is a reasonable shout. For me, you know, as good as Nick Pope's been, I don't think he's ever had to really, you know, single-handedly win games or anything like that. And and for me, for to to want to give that sort of award to a goalkeeper, I, I think that's what needs to be doing. I think need to regularly be stealing games. But I think we've been a lot better defensively at sort of this season, uh, limiting teams to to low percentage shots. We've not quite given our goalkeeper the the amount of work we've maybe done in the past where we've had those mental lapses where all of a sudden we're giving clear-cut chances away in the last five minutes of half and stuff like that. But, you know, he's still a deserving winner, even if I wouldn't have naturally, you know, necessarily given him the the award myself. You know, he's come in under what I can only imagine was immense pressure, you know, having seen the way Tom Heaton's performed for us in the Premier League and he's come in and done an excellent job, put himself in contention for... For, for England, you know, I think there's still aspects of his game that he needs to work on his distribution. But as far as shot stopping and you know commanding his area, he's, he's excellent. Particularly, I think with commanding the area, that's something that these days is is going out of the game a little bit. There's a lot of keepers who you know won't come and catch anything that's more than three yards away from the goal line. So to see someone who uh, you know still uses his attributes, uses his heart, uses his you know catching ability to, to come take balls I think that's good and obviously even though I want to personally vote for him still well deserved absolutely sensational season and I'm sure he's he's pretty chuffed to, to walk away with you know an award from both his peers and the, mm. the fans yeah it, it did look it looked like Christmas, all of his Christmases had come at once. He he was clearly very humbled by it, and I think it's just capped off a, an incredible season. It just feels to me like he he just he wanted it. I don't, I know that sounds really weird, but seeing his acceptance speech, you just you just know how much it meant to him, and I was really pleased to see that. Similar to James, I didn't vote for him in the end. I did vote James Bird. Honestly, I want to see you voting next year. I, but I was really torn up actually, and it was a very, very close call for me between Ashley Barnes and Nick Pope. Ashley, I just picked it for me, and I think the reason why I voted for Ashley as my player of the season was Ashley's been called up and been asked to perform miracles ever since he first came to the club. If you remember, we signed him in the first, not the first, the first automatic promotion season under Deitch when we were chasing Leicester for for that automatic spot, and we had about 12 games to go where both Vokes and Ings got injured and we were really struggling and he had to come in and he'd hardly played that much and he wasn't the polished striker that we've seen of Ashley Barnes this season. He was all clumsy and all arms and legs and and he had to step up and he scored some key goals. He scored the Wigan goal, if you remember, to to get us um, over the line for promotion. And every single time he's been asked to step in and 
I guess, bail us out. He's, he's, he's done it and he's helped us out. And then he's immediately been pushed back down to third, fourth choice striker. And he's had to be patient. And this season, again, he's been called on to get us through the season, but not just by the skin of his teeth this season. This season, it felt like he owned it. And he's turned into a technical player that I didn't think I ever saw coming in Ashley Barnes. And, and for that reason, he got my player of the season just because I think his reliability... His goals this season have, have really got us over the line, but what he's done for himself in terms of developing his technical ability, I think has been outstanding. The second major award then, James, was the goal of the season, um, which ends up being voted for on the night. They, they sort of give you 10 goals and, and a text code to, to vote. So the fans in the room um, ended up voting for Defoe's free kick against Manchester United um, over the Christmas period, which won goal of the season. I, I can't remember all of them, but I think the three main ones for me that stood out as, as the contenders were Defoe's free kick, the one that won it at Manchester United, the Everton goal that away, which was the team goal. I think every outfield player, well, every outfield player got a kick of the ball before Hendrick put it in the back of the net. And I think Barnes's overhead scissor free kick, was it again? Was it at West Brom, that one? So I think they were the three ones for me. James, do you agree that Defoe's United free kick should have won goal of the season or do you have a differing view? For me, it's probably between the, the Ashley Barnes um, over a kick and, and the Defoe free kick. I think Defoe does edge it. You've got to look at it as um, I think only three players have beat De Gea from outside his box this season, which shows it's not an easy task. He's a hell of a goalkeeper. He's probably the best goalkeeper in the league. So to, to beat him from that position, I think can't be can't be underestimated and you know the, the importance of adding the game at the time as well. It just you know, stands it up. I think there is probably the the best best goal of the season for me. I think I probably agree. As uh, I, I was, I was very torn. I think again between between Ashley Barnes. Well, I keep, Ashley keeps getting my my vote this season. I'm obviously turning into a massive Ashley Barnes fan girl, but I think probably Defoe's free kick just edged it for me. So I guess James, the only other news this week that's sort of outside of the games themselves was the news that James Tarkovsky has been shortlisted for Player of the Season. Now, this I guess surprised me a little bit, but then also it didn't surprise me. It seems that outside of Turf Moor, James Tarkovsky is the is the poster boy for Burnley. You know, he's the guy who's 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 come in. Disp- no, obviously he's replaced Michael Keane and he's done fantastically well. But I think I was surprised to see him shortlisted as player of the year when he didn't make it into the Premier League's team of the season. In fact, no Burnley players did, which was, well, that's another issue in itself. But I guess, were you surprised, James, to see Tarky shortlisted as a player of the year? And would you have put forward anybody else as a stronger candidate than Tarky for that nomination? It's a difficult one. You know, obviously, you look at what he's, he's done. He's had a great season. But uh, at the same time, I think since he's he's come back over the last couple of games, he's maybe not been as good as he was. I think for, there's been a couple of games where Kevin Long, who, you know, most people won't think is is the best player in our, in our squad. You know, a lot of people saying he, he wasn't even good enough to back up for, for me and Tarkovsky. I think he's outplayed Tarkovsky in a couple of games uh, recently. So yeah, it's, it is a little bit of a surprise. You know, I think he's had a fantastic season for the most part, but he just it seems to have gone a little bit quiet recently. And as a result, you are a bit, I guess, taken aback to to see him up for such a big award. But uh, speaking of the, the actual 
Premier League awards. So I thought that the um, the shortlist for the manager of the year was, you know, a, a bit weird. They, they, there's teams in there that I don't think you can look at what the manager's doing and, and think it's sensational. I saw Rafa Benitez in there, and you know, a club at Newcastle stature should really be doing better than they are. And I think most people know it's probably a foregone conclusion that they seem to always give it to the, the manager who wins the league. So th- there is a, a bit of, I'm not quite sure what the methodology is behind uh, some of these shortlists. Yeah, I think that's a really a really good point, actually, James. I think I've been slightly frustrated with the Manager of the Year award just because it just, I just doesn't seem to be any point in it anymore because it just, like you say, goes to whoever wins the league. Now, I think this season there's probably a, a bigger argument for that because it's not just City winning the league. I think what Pep's done this season with that side has been fantastic and the football that they've been producing has been incredible. So, yes, he does deserve it. But, yeah, like you say, it does become a little bit of a... An obvious choice, doesn't it? So that's all really we've we've got time to, to chat with this week. Um, James, final game of the season on Sunday. Um, we're at home to Bournemouth in what we're hoping is going to be a better sign off for the season than, than the Arsenal game on Sunday. We're obviously going to talk next week in depth about a review of the season and how it's gone and what our hopes and dreams are for next season. But just, I guess, looking forward to the Bournemouth game Two sides with absolutely nothing to play for, nothing riding on it. Are you expecting it to be a relaxed game? Are you concerned about maybe a lack of competitive edge? Obviously, Eddie Howe coming back, there's always a bit of a needle with him. I guess, what are you expecting from the game? Yeah, I think, again, I'm, I'm not expecting any major fireworks. I don't think the players are trying to go out on a on a high and you know try and put on a show for the fans and, and win, but it's hard to say really how, how we're going to come up. I'm, I'm not sure who's going to be you know, fit, what sort of side are we going to put out? But I'd like to think we're going to we're going to win and give a good show in and, um, you know, make it a real party atmosphere at the turf. Yeah, I do hope so. And I think it would just be really nice, wouldn't it, for these players to have another lap of honour and just to have recognition of what they've achieved this season, which has been nothing short of remarkable. I actually think it's going to be a really good game. Um, I think one of the, I guess, benefits that comes from a relaxed game that's got nothing to play for is that you've got two teams that can come out and, and just have an enjoyable, relaxed game of football without any pressure. And we know that Bournemouth like to attack. Obviously, I'm not really sure whether we're going to be attacking much if we've we've got um, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood still out. That might just mute our attacking threat a little bit. But either way, I'm expecting in a party atmosphere at Turf Moor so if, if everybody's getting down there cheer the lads on and give them some real applause for a fantastic season well done so yes that's all we have time for this week thanks as ever go to Matt our producer our new producer who has been um, editing and producing the podcast for us thank you Matt thanks to James for joining me on what's going to be his penultimate podcast episode thank you very much James but special thanks finally go to you the listeners for downloading and listening to this podcast as ever We would not be here without you and your support is much appreciated. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.